0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarley, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We have a peak offseason edition for you, but hopefully it'll be entertaining to you. Uh, maybe some information that you can enjoy. Um, I know you won't enjoy the first topic out there if you're a Hokie fan, but we're going to talk about the defense uh, that's been ravaged. And we'll set our own expectations for what uh, all these uh, all this attrition could mean for the Hokies. We'll also talk about um, the F1 All-American uh, – oh, sorry, the F1 All-ACC team. I've done that twice. I've said it's All-American. It's not. Um, we'll answer some listener questions, and then we have a draft of the top um, things we would change if we were sports czar across the entire world of sports. Andy, sound good?
1: It sounds good. We should mention this is the second time that we're trying to record this. The first time we had some audio problems in person. We're doing it over the phone now. Uh, Hopefully those have been fixed uh, so I don't have to hit my head against the wall trying to figure out how to get these stupid microphones to work correctly. Andy has
0: a very level head, and he's not uh, the kind of guy that flies off the
1: handle. But the maddest I've ever seen him is when we have these audio problems on this
0: podcast. It it
1: really grinds your gears, doesn't it? It really, really grinds my gears to the point where I just want to quit everything. So hopefully we'll (laughs) not get to that point and we could soldier through a, a podcast here. Okay,
0: well, since the last time that we met, which was two weeks ago, uh, if you haven't listened to his recruiting podcast last week, uh, he had a recruiting expert on and uh, talked a lot of recruiting. So go back and listen to that if you're interested in that. But the last time you and I actually spoke was before the news broke that Adonis Alexander uh, will not be on the team anymore because of uh, academics and also Jeremy Webb another cornerback who was expected to compete for playing time maybe even a starting job this year is out with an Achilles injury. Andy both of these were kind of rumored that they might happen we, you know we talked about the, the kind of the, the whole thing with the Alexander being a big uh, mystery but now that we have the actual news, your thoughts
1: uh, it's a blow. Uh, I think the headline that I put on the story when it came out was crushed at cornerback because they are, I mean, these were probably going to be the top two guys at cornerback. I would imagine uh, at least both would have been in a, a three man rotation. If if they were going to do that again with, with probably Caleb Farley being the third guy, uh, Adonis Alexander was expected to be uh, a senior kind of leader of that secondary. If he could have kept his head on straight he's had, uh, problems throughout his career with suspensions, and you know, he, and this is he was academically ineligible coming into the year. Will enter the NFL supplemental draft, which is something that a lot of guys don't do. That route is just really not taken. There's been one guy taken in that draft uh, since 2012, so uh, you know he didn't really have many other options after not be making the grade academically. And then Jeremy Webb, a guy from uh, ASA College of Brooklyn, a junior college guy, and they don't often bring in junior college transfers, uh, but they did with him because I think they foresaw the inexperience in the secondary, especially at cornerback, and uh, they needed the guy to come in and play that role. And, uh, you know, he was a a 6'2", 190, 200-pound guy, kind of like Adonis Alexander, size-wise. And, uh, you know, I think if you had those two guys, you felt pretty good about your cornerback crew. Uh, even though you lose Greg Stroman and Brandon Faison to graduation. Uh, now all of a sudden that's all in, thrown into flux. I mean, uh, Caleb Farley is, is maybe the next guy on the list. It's kind of unclear. Uh, there's high hopes for him on this staff, I think, but he's also a redshirt freshman who uh, up until four months ago, everybody thought he was going to be a receiver going forward. Uh, yeah, he practiced last year defensive back, then switched receiver and, had a really big spring game and was going to play uh, wide receiver on the year and then hurt his knee, injured his knee out for the season in August. So uh, he's a guy who hasn't played a college game yet. After that, uh, Bryce Watts is a sophomore. who's really only played on special teams. Tyree Rogers, a sophomore, only played on special teams. Javon Quillen uh, Jr. is really only played on special teams. And, and then Jermaine Waller, who's a true freshman, that got here uh, in January. So really there's no experience uh, at those cornerback spots right now. Uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech is pursuing Nick Watkins, a, a Notre Dame graduate transfer potentially. Uh, Nebraska is going after him TCU as well. so it's not like that's a, a done deal by any means. Uh, Virginia Tech can probably offer a better opportunity for playing time, but but who knows exactly what goes into his thought process. Uh, you know, maybe they could move a guy like Mook Reynolds to cornerback. He's played it before. Uh, earlier in his career uh, you've got Devin Hunter behind him at whip linebacker that would be a good way to get Devin Hunter on the field early too uh i don't know i mean it's it's uh not a situation with any good answers but it's the reality that Virginia Tech has to face right now
0: well crushed at cornerback and also a limp at linebacker right i mean they, we we already knew the linebacker position was going to be a big question mark so now you got your entire pretty much back 7 looking entirely new uh, or, or very close to it. Uh, you know, they're going to have to rely on their front four. I wrote something this weekend uh wasn't earth-shattering, but just kind of spitballing a bit about the defense and what this means for them. And I was looking at the last 10 years of this defense, and they, their average ranking – in total defense, was 19.9 nationally, which is obviously very good. Um, They had two years where they were outside the top 40. One of them was 2010 when they finished 53rd. I think they're probably going to finish worse than that. I think people need to be prepared to see the worst defense uh, statistically that we've seen in at least a decade. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You think they'll finish worse than 53rd? defensively this year i
0: do in the i national d- rankings I do, and total
1: yeah. yards that's i don't know if it drops that far i it, you know uh this is a difficult situation i mean they lost four guys that got drafted from that defense last year and that didn't even include brandon Fazen uh who looks like he's doing pretty well in san diego has a has a decent chance of at least competing for a roster spot there uh that's a lot to lose from a single defense and then you take the top two cornerbacks that you were expected to have and they're out too uh, you have brand new starters at inside linebacker, uh, new starters at cornerback, a new free safety. Uh, really, that defensive line is the only thing you have. I, I th- you know, I think I posted when I posted this thing online uh, about uh, Alexander and Webb. I think, somebody, you know, talking about the the secondary and kind of uh, the outlook there. I think somebody mentioned on on Tech sideline, who I can't remember who it was that did it, but they said, you know, Bud's a genius. He's not a magician, and that's a tough thing to do on defense. It's just sort of uh create not only talent but experience out of thin air uh you know i think they have some talent on that defensive side of the ball i don't think they have the experience and that's not really something you can simulate over time so uh yeah i think there will be some growing pains this year uh will it will they be worse than 53rd nationally in in total defense i don't know i mean i think there's things that you can do offensively that you can help your defense out by playing ball control more and, and not really putting it on their shoulders uh it it might be tough though i mean the fact that we're sitting here talking about oh this could be the the worst defense in a while and uh you know 40th and 53rd or whatever the rankings were the worst that it's been in the last decade that's a pretty good run that virginia tech has had for defenses if, if that's yeah. considered bottoming out so uh you know i think when we talk about oh worst case scenario i mean if you're still in the top half of the fbs or, or top third uh that's still not terrible that's still give this team a pretty good chance but uh it will be a challenge this year
0: yeah, and you know I've got all the faith in the world that Bud will do the very best he can with this and and maximize the abilities of this group. And also, we should mention that 2010 team, which had the quote unquote awful defense of 40, 53rd, that team finished 10 and three, one won the ACC, didn't lose a game in the ACC, went 8-0 in the ACC, and uh, ended up playing in the Orange Bowl against Stanford, got wrecked there. Uh, that hurt their numbers defensively, too, getting wrecked by Stanford in that game. But, uh, you know, if you have a Tyrod Taylor, things things tend to work out pretty well for you. Uh, but, you know, look, it's gonna, the onus is going to be on that defensive line, and it's going to be on this offense, right? I mean, this is uh, pretty much going into this season, you kind of know, where the strengths of the teams are gonna are gonna have to be because of of everything that's happened in the last uh, you know three or four months.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean that's where you have the the most experience on the team. You're, you're probably your best player overall on the team is uh, Ricky Walker at defensive tackle. You know, Vinnie, Vinnie Mahota slides inside. I think you've got some promising ends and Trayvon Hill who's done it before and Housing Gaines is sort of stepping into a larger role. Uh, if you can get a lot of pressure out of that group, that will help out your quarterbacks quite a bit. But uh, you've looked at the history of Bud Foster's defense, and it really makes stars out of those cornerbacks. And when they have really stud players in those spots, that's when the defense takes off because it allows you to to put them out there on an island. Uh, you can do stuff with other spots on the defense and you know, be aggressive, blitz, all the hallmarks of Bud Foster's defenses. And now all of a sudden you have guys, he's like, I don't know if you trust him in one-on-one coverage you might have to give them a little bit more help out there. Uh, all of a sudden that sort of changes the dynamic of what this defense is and has been in the last, you know, 25 years under Bud. So, uh it's tough. I mean, they're going to have to have other guys step up and you know, this is why they recruit them. This is why they recruit them and and have them you know say, "Hey, you want early playing time and all this stuff." Well, now they've got it. Uh it just might be a little bit of growing pains early in the season, especially when you have such a high-profile opener like Florida State.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and I can see us sitting it down this time next year talking about defense and saying, "Well, a lot of guys get trial by fire, but they're, you know, they're more prepared now than they would have been last, you know, if, had they not played last year." So, what's uh, you know a disappointing outcome for for fans and for the people involved here uh, is going to create some opportunities, as you mentioned, and, and perhaps make some stars out of some players a little earlier than we thought. Uh, I think you'll see at least one guy really emerge maybe it'll be far like, you know somebody can just grab a bunch of interceptions and do a have a really good statistical season that we just you know if we had asked us uh, a few months ago if this was going to happen we would never have guessed it but because of need uh we'll see somebody really uh merge who are some other candidates i mean maybe uh dax what is hollyfield right uh maybe he could be one of those guys uh who else who else would you put as a candidate to maybe be a statistical uh breakout
1: guy yeah, well, I think Hollyfield has a chance, but I, I don't think he's going to start. I mean, I think it's Rayshard Ashby and, and Dylan Rivers at those inside linebacker spots. I think Hollyfield, uh, you know, the recruiting talent that he was and the, the rankings that he had, he'll have a chance coming in and competing for playing time. But to, to expect him to win a starting job right off the bat after a month on campus in practice, I think that's a really tall order. So, uh, you know, of the guys that I think that will contribute, I think all of them are here already. Uh, just because it's really tough for those freshmen to come in and do that. You know, you mentioned Farley. I think Bryce Watts has a chance. Uh, it sounds like he had a really, you know, I think to quote Bud Foster, big-time spring. Uh, he's, a, he's a real track guy, a lot of speed. I think some of the football stuff he had to develop over time. He played a little bit on special teams last year. That's sort of the, the way to get into a bigger role on the defense is to do that. Uh again, I wonder if if you gotta shuffle things around. I I think you look at the who are the top guys in this secondary right now, and you, you probably go Reggie Floyd, Mook Reynolds, uh you know, Divine Diablo, Khalil Ladler, maybe Devin Hunter, just based on talent and, and, and potential, and all those guys are safeties. Uh so I I, I think sometimes when something like this happens it causes uh, programs to sort of look inward and go, okay, let's just scrap what we thought was going to be the plan before. you got to get your best five guys out there, even if that means shuffling some positions around. And, you know, historically that's what Virginia Tech has done. I mean, remember it was, you know, five or six years ago where all of a sudden Kaishan Jarrett and Dietrich Bonner became safeties and, uh, you know, Anton Exum moves over to, to cornerback to pair with Kyle Fuller. Uh, that was a little bit of a learning process there, but eventually in the long run it worked out pretty well. Uh, You know, Chuck Clark played corner before he played free safety. Terrell Edmonds played corner before he played free safety and probably could have moved back to corner. If he were still here, I'm sure you'd be seeing him move back to corner right now. So uh, whatever they finish the spring in, I don't think that's going to be how things reconvene in August. I think they're going to do some different things and maybe shuffle some things up to see how guys work at different positions.
0: Well, a couple of housekeeping things here before we move on to the listener questions. Uh, the ODU game, we have a start time on that uh, in late September at ODU. It's a
1: 3.30 kick. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? It should not have been a time? noon. That 330? should have been a noon, right? I agree. Uh, there's no reason yeah. to play that game at 3.30 uh I, I don't think it'll be particularly close. Uh, I just don't understand why they do it at the time they did. Uh, that that's that seems like a spot that you save for, like, a bigger game of the season, uh, not a game that, that the outcome's probably not going to be too difficult to, to figure out.
0: Yeah, well, you were telling me that I guess the stadium's not very big and
1: the tickets are, uh you know, pretty pricey if you're looking at the secondary market, right? Yeah, it's only like a 20,000-seat stadium, yeah uh, and uh, maybe like a 20-seat press box. I don't know. I haven't been in the press box. I've heard some horror stories about it. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty hot ticket down there in the 757, I would think. And it's a historic trip for Virginia Tech, making its first trip to to Old Dominion like that. Uh, I'm sure all the ODU fans are pretty psyched about that. I would imagine there's a lot of Pokey fans in the 757 that are looking forward to not having to make a five-hour trip to go uh, attend a game like that. Uh, I just wish it would have started at noon because you know I'm a cranky sports writer and I wish every game started at noon.
0: <laughs> you and me both, brother. Well, uh, you know we've we've talked a lot in the past. You know whenever they make announce start times and people want are are pining for those late night starts. And we say, well, you know the, the people on the in the 757 say, well, you know it's nice for us if it's early because we can get home and you know get recover and go to work on Monday not feeling uh, like we our whole weekend's been wrecked. I guess people from Blacksburg, Christiansburg, Giles, you know, if they make this trip, they'll get a sense for uh, what the 757 people go through, you know, on on those uh, game days.
1: Yeah, it'll be a sobering uh, experience for them to actually have to make a 10 hour round trip in a single day if they're going to do it that way will it, will it make them have empathy? i don't think so but <laughs> it
0: will uh, they'll still be winning those night games as as, as they often do and I certainly understand that as a fan why that's why that's preferable but we are we are the cranky sports writers who are going to hail any afternoons especially early afternoon times oh yeah all right, you also saw the uh, the athlon all acc team came out um, and you've done some work for Athlon, including writing their preview this year. So you know how early they have to do these things. And it's indicated that, you know, because Alexander's on this list. Uh, who else is on the list uh, for Athlon's uh, All-ACC squad?
1: Yeah, they really do ask you to get these nominations in early. It's like March. I think the I think the article I had to write was due in March or something, March 27th or something like that. Which, if you know the spring schedule, there's still two and a half weeks left of spring football, so there's still plenty of stuff to sort out uh, at that stage. Uh, first team guys, Ricky Walker. He's the only guy from, on the from the Hokies on the first team. Uh, doing it at a spot that's yeah. pretty deep in the yeah. ACC. I mean, you look at all the guys that Clemson has, you could probably just have all the Clemson guys on the first team, and that would make sense. Uh, in this case, I think they had Austin Bryant on the second team, uh, Christian Wilkins, Dex Lawrence, and Cleveland Farrell on the first team, along with Ricky Walker. So he's in pretty good company there on the first team, and you know he's a legit player. He's probably the only one on the team that you look at him and you go, yeah, his position's in place. I don't expect that to change at all. Uh, second team guys you got Josh Jackson quarterback Mook Reynolds linebacker whip uh, nickel spot and Oscar Bradburn at punter uh, I probably wouldn't have put Josh Jackson that high maybe Malik Rozier uh, ahead of him I thought Rozier had maybe a slightly better season uh, last year but you know that's up for debate uh, third team guys Josh Nijman on the offensive line Reggie Floyd at safety and as we mentioned before Adonis Alexander who is no longer on the team so uh, that that that's a pretty thin crew. I mean, that's less uh, guys on these all-ACC teams than they've had in the past. And I don't know if there's any correlation of success between how many guys you place on that and how you actually fare during the season. But, uh, you know, this is not what they've had the last couple of years, I would say that. Yeah. I mean,
0: they'll, uh, like we said earlier, I mean, there'll be a chance for guys to, to pull off surprises and, and do things to, to, to warrant postseason uh accolades but yeah the preseason stuff's not going to come because there's a lot of unknown quantities on on both sides of the ball here all right you ready to get to listener questions let's do it okay we got three of them uh appreciate those of you who sent them in i think we saved one of these uh, from earlier but i think two of them are brand new uh, we'll start with one from riley uh would you prefer having an old michael vick age 37 Over Josh Jackson, age twenty, as the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech this coming season. I think we're going to rephrase this question because you and I both said we'd rather have Vic at thirty-seven. Nothing against Jackson, but just you know he's an NFL uh, veteran uh, who you know is retired now. But. But uh, still, at thirty-seven, would be preferable to a young player, almost any young player. Yeah, he's but not let's, that let's retired. He's it. only like
1: a year removed from retirement. It's not that right. like he's completely lost his
0: speed or anything. Let's let's rephrase it this way: At what age would you take Jackson? You know, what at what age would Vic have to be before you take Jackson over Vic?
1: That's a tough one. Uh, Tom Brady is going strong, and he's what is early to mid forties i forget exactly how old he is
0: yeah
1: uh maybe i'd say fifty. my age i think
0: he's 41
1: is he okay i'll go with uh because of the skills and i think they last for a while i'll go with 50 year old mike vick i think that's the point where i would go okay now i'm going to start to go with with some of the youngsters I, I i'm not that old yet so i don't really know when the uh joints start going and the aches start to be a little bit more but uh I think Michael Vick could be a, a contributor, certainly. I mean, he, he probably could have been on an NFL roster in some sense right now. But, I mean, if he's going up against college guys, I think he'd be very effective for many more years.
0: Yeah, I might go a little earlier than than 50. I think I'd go about 45 because, you know, obviously Michael depended. He had a, a howitzer arm, but he also depended very much on his, his capability, uh, particularly when he was in college. Uh, so, I mean, you're going to lose a lot of that uh, after the age of 40 and probably already by now he's lost plenty of it. So um, I don't think I'd go as far as you. Would. I mean, I'm watching guys like Jimmy Johnson, you know, in the NASCAR superstar, you know, seven-time champion. He's, he's just kind of fallen off a cliff here in his early 40s. Um, and, it, and it just does. That, that's what happens. It just goes, you know, before you know it. Uh, everything's gone that you had. And I think it'd be a little earlier than 50, but it was a good question, Riley. I think it's an interesting uh, note. You know, just you think about how good these NFL players are and how good they have to be to be stars in the NFL um, and how different that is from the college game. It's it's good. Good discussion point. Here's something something to
1: consider with that one. George Blanda played until he was 48 years old. He was a kicker throughout his career. He didn't start a game at quarterback after the age of 41 uh i just think it's like yeah there's a certain amount of his uh, a physical skill that you have there but there's just the mental side of things i mean michael vick would be on such a different mental level than any of the college players that he'd be going up against that i feel like he would be able to shred them pretty easily still
0: all right well the question number two comes from scott saunders that's at charlotte Hokie zero on twitter he says, rank the most interesting head coaches in football. I nominate Mike Leach, Herm Edwards, and P.J. Fleck to get things started. Andy, where would you start on the most interesting coaches in college football?
1: That's probably a pretty good start. Those are certainly the the most uh, kind of out there guys that, uh, you know, play things up to the media pretty well. I don't know if all those guys quite have the persona that they come across as when they're in the media Maybe Mike Leach. I, I've talked to Mike Leach back when uh, Virginia was in the Gator Bowl, and they were playing Texas Tech. I think it was like 2007. Uh, yeah, I talked to Mike Leach for a story, and I, I called him up uh, up the uh, athletic or, or sports information department there, and I'm like, yeah, he's trying to maybe do a story on Mike Leach. He's like, okay, well, I'll give him your number. He'll give you a call, and then, like. There's no like middleman or anything like that. He's like, no, that's just how he rolls. he'll just call you whenever. And <laughs> I think I was, at home in <laughs> I was at home in Minnesota on vacation. It was like eleven o'clock at night, and I got a call from a strange number. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And it was Mike Leach mm. calling me on like a Tuesday night at eleven. And then he just start we just start talking like about weird stuff in Charlottesville, like all the old you know homes and architecture and stuff like that. Like that was just a very weird guy. I think that would be. Uh, perhaps a very interesting person to talk to, because the most interesting guys to talk to are, are the guys that have some sort of interest outside of football. Cause quite honestly, right. we, we, if you just talk to football coaches about football, like it gets boring really quick. So I, I think it'd be interesting to talk to somebody like Mike Leach uh, that would have a little bit of perspective about something else that's out there. Or interest in something. I mean, he likes pirates he likes all sorts of stuff. Like, that that would be really, I don't know if it would get old really quick, but it, it would certainly be interesting to cover. Is there anybody that, that you would have on your list, certainly?
0: Well, of the three that Scott mentioned, I would take Leach number one because, yeah, you never know when he's going to go off on some really wild tangent and you've got a story that you never thought you'd have, and those are always fun. I mean, Frank could kind of do that sometimes. You know, he'd give you that... That ring a ding ding quote or something that just made you laugh, but uh, by the end of it, he was he wasn't saying a whole lot. So it'd be nice to have somebody who just kind of just kind of doesn't have a filter and just goes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've said before on this podcast, Diva Dazio at Boston College. Um, he is sort of all football all the time, but uh, I love his insights on particularly the offensive line. Just when he talks about the offensive line, he gets so lathered up, and uh, I enjoy listening to him discuss it. And I love the uh, the phraseology he uses when he's talking about football. You know, can you get a yard? You know, that famous quote that we use now every time Tech faces a third and one. Um He'd be great. I've always liked Jimbo, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you know, I like the Southern preacher types who use crazy, phrase, you know, phrases that are just sort of homespun. And, I, you know, some of it's probably an act and some of it's legit. But, you know, like when uh, yeah, he was talking about scheduling and how you you have to uh, pay these smaller schools a lot more money now to come to your school, and you know, for these – these games against one double A foes, and he's like, The price of poker just went up, boys. Just went up. And, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. You were instantly
1: obviously hooked with would, the poker references. <laughs> would
0: resonate with me, of course. So, uh, yeah, those two I'd put on the list. Um, and there's probably others, but that's probably not. Anybody
1: else you want to add? Uh, here's one I would add Ed Ogeron. At LSU, oh, just because yeah. I'm fascinated by him as a human being and just sort of that Cajun <laughs> side of him. And like, what is he saying? I can't understand a word he's saying. Mm-hmm. If, if he did, like, you want to get like the full Ed on like when he's talking, what he would be like, go and go, or YouTube mm-hmm. the uh, Hummer commercial that he did, where he's just <laughs> talking. He's just like, you want to buy a Hummer, we'll buy a Hummer. It's just <laughs> like a stream of consciousness, like he, he read it without punctuation or anything like that. Uh, I think he'd be an interesting one I'm kind of uh, surprised you didn't mention your boy Dana Holgerson at uh, West Virginia I mean he, he's a guy that got kicked out of a casino I figure if there's anybody that you can <laughs> look to it's Dana Holgerson right yeah yeah I could
0: i you know you know my feelings on West Virginia in general I like I like the state I know that doesn't make yeah, you're a popular person in Land, but I like the state. And, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he, he gambled or apparently got kicked out of the casino that I frequented quite often before I discovered Cherokee. And now I don't waste my time going to Nitro anymore because it's, it's about a little less than the same distance, but uh, not as good perks as you get down in Cherokee. Um, let's go to question number three. This is from John in Charlottesville. With the wound still fresh, how about pouring some salt in? Name your all-kicked-off team, or all-kicked-off-the-team team. Who are the best, greatest potential players from each position group that, due to violation of team or school rules, academic, academic ineligibility, arrest, or other circumstance, have been kicked off the Virginia Tech football team? Uh, I'll let you start. I think there's an easy easy answer here. Oh yeah, uh, well I
1: should know. John don't. from John, even though he says he's from Charlottesville, is I believe he's a Hokies fan. Yeah, he, he writes questions all the time for Virginia Tech, so this isn't like a trolling question that he's getting. No, uh, trying to get us to talk about this. I mean, the, the obvious one is Marcus Vick, uh, just sort of yeah. the potential that he had that he threw away by uh, just in general being a knucklehead in all instances of life. Uh, continues to this day, it sounds like, to still just be somebody who doesn't have his head screwed on straight. Uh, I mean, he's somebody that played in the NFL despite all that, uh, at least made a roster initially with the, the Miami Dolphins, I believe. But, I mean, he was a, an all-ACC Player of the Year caliber type guy when he was playing, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty rough. I mean, uh, to, to lose that and uh, I think just sort of his overall skill set, it's such an important position like quarterback, uh, I think he would have to lead this sort of all kicked off the team team uh, list that we have here. Uh, I listed a couple here just doing some research on this. I, I think Adonis makes that because you saw what he sort of had his potential, uh, you know, 6'3 guy like that. To, you don't know, see big cornerbacks like that. Uh, going back, I think C.J. Rebus now, uh, you know, he had a pretty good career at Marshall. He's in a camp with the Jaguars. You kind of wonder what would happen if he had been in the Bud Foster defense Uh, throughout the whole time that he was in college Uh, Brandon orr I mean he he might be Virginia Tech's all-time leading rusher right now if he hadn't got kicked out uh, before his senior season for you know from the sounds of it it wasn't anything terrible that he did it was just sort of the collection of just like not caring about certain things and and behavior uh, in that sense it was nothing criminal in that sense it was just sort of uh, uh, I don't know habitual line stepping that uh, caused them to kick him off the team uh, those are the three, uh, the couple that I came up with that I thought were the biggest ones. And anybody that I've I've thought that you you're I've missed that you can think of.
0: Well, the Peter Rose one was interesting because you know he was well he's Danville,
1: right? Uh, I even no, though he was in uh, Amherst, I, Amherst County, I actually Amherst. covered I covered okay. him when he was in Lynchburg.
0: Yeah, and I remember covering his his high school senior year. I think uh, they played Salem or something, and. And he was a superstar, you know, and, and everybody was talking about what a you know, good character guy he was and everything. And then what happened? He was like he was busted for selling drugs or something like that. Yeah, hard it was drugs. within
1: like yeah. five hundred feet of a school zone or something like that, so that made it yeah. more serious than it was. The, the the one thing I'll say about Peter Rose is he ended up going to JMU, and it's not like his career was outstanding or anything like that. So yeah. it, it's, it's when you see how these guys play out over the career. I think you can kind of get an answer sometimes like, oh, my gosh, he would have been uh, an outstanding player if only he had gotten kicked out of Virginia Tech. It's like, well, he got another chance somewhere, and he didn't really do that great. I think that applies to somebody like, you know, Dwayne Lawson from a couple years ago. It's like all the potential in the world, but I don't think he had it between the ears very much and and hasn't been able to to find a second chance anywhere. I think he was going to go to Illinois and ended up not getting in uh, coming from junior college. Uh, you know, a couple other, you know, famous uh, guys that didn't get into school because of academics. Todd Nolan, Drew Ho- Drew Harris, running back, a couple years ago. Again, these guys didn't go anywhere else and kind of had big careers. I think an interesting one was uh, Devion Simmons. Devion Simmons. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. He was a linebacker from the beach. Uh, you know, signed and I think he was a four or five star guy coming to Virginia Tech, and he got ended up getting expelled from school after a fight. There was like a big brawl down there. Uh, you know, sort of filling with the wrong crowd, was, uh, you know, on the police blotter quite a bit, got arrested uh, for assault and battery in there. Uh, I think you look at uh, guys that had a lot of potential that it wasn't an academic reason that they didn't get in. It was just sort of uh, how things played out. And, uh, you know, you get expelled from high school. It's going to be tough to get into Virginia Tech at that point. I think he may be one as uh, you look back and you go, man, that that's kind of a what could have been situation. Absolutely.
0: Well, I think you're right. I think Marcus Vick, transcends them all, not only because of his obvious ability, but and I think this changed a little bit once the dog fighting stuff came out about Michael, but Michael was so revered at this you know, at this place, and to see his brother sort of solely everything that his brother had done, you know, the, the Vic name is so important in Blacksburg, and still is, but uh, you know, I I was covering the whole thing. I mean, I was a new columnist right when all that stuff was breaking, and I was a I was a hardliner on him. I mean, I remember a year before he got kicked off the team, I wrote that he should be kicked off the team, and I was. Uh, cheered by some and jeered by others and, uh, threatened by some <laughs> because they didn't, uh, they didn't want to hear it. I mean, they didn't want to hear that, uh, the, that this, you know, this guy who was this talented should not be on this football team. There were plenty of Hokie fans who thought he shouldn't be on the team, but it took a lot more after that for it to actually happen. And, uh, certainly the way he, he flamed out and people still talk about Marcus Vick, uh, you know, that is, that is definitely number one on this list for sure. All right. Well, let's get to our draft, shall we? Let's do it. All right. I like this draft. I think it's a good idea. Uh, and Thanks to those guys for their questions. We do appreciate that too. Uh, but you came up with this one. You said, let uh, you were a sports czar. What would you change in all of sports? And we had one, you know, we, we decided there'd be one requisite here and that was that one of them had to involve college football in some way, just to keep with our theme of college football. But other than that, Uh, The entire sports world is open to you, and I have to admit, I wrote all of my draft picks on my phone, and I'm now using my phone to speak with you, so uh, I wasn't expecting (laughs) to do that, Uh, but I will try to remember them. If I forget any of of them, then uh, I blame brain surgery.
1: Well, when I'm talking, maybe you can uh, put the phone down and and try to access your list to look at it that way. Is there a way to do that? I think so. I think you can just press the home button and then go into your email and and look at it that way. You have the first pick in this one, though, so you can go and make the first pick if you'd like.
0: Okay. Well, everyone knows what my first pick is going to be, and I
1: thought about not
0: doing it because I knew you wouldn't take it. But you told me off air that uh, that you knew what my first pick was going to be, and you might try a different version of my pick that would kind of solely my pick some. So I'm going to take my first pick get rid of replay, abolish it all, every sport, everywhere, uh, including some of the replay that I like. Uh, I, I want it all gone. Like the home run replay I'm okay with uh, in baseball, but I, I, in order to be consistent here, I am saying let's get rid of it all. Um, certainly get rid of it in basketball. It has no place in that sport and certainly get rid of it in football where everything's become way too mega uh, important and too
1: uh,
0: overanalyzed, and, and the pace of play is just direct. Um, get rid of it all. That's my uh, number one pick.
1: I knew you'd go there. That's why I gave you that of first course. pick. And this actually worked out well. If you, you couldn't access your phone to see what else was on your list, this forced you to go into that instant replay. I did threaten to maybe take it and just be like, I'm going to hold it hostage and trade you for your, your remaining five picks or four picks in the draft. Uh, so you get rid of it completely. You wouldn't even have, like, minor instances where it, where it would stay in any capacity.
0: No, I think, it, it, as I said, I think it, it, to be consistent here, I just need to get rid of it all because this is how it happens, man. You know, it's like you, you have this limited replay that starts up, and the people say, well, why don't we get this involved? And why don't we get that involved? And then you see situations like you had in Game 1 of the NBA Finals where they were essentially reviewing block charge. That was I mean, terrible. It's just, I mean, I, I look, people don't want to hear me continue to pull out all the reasons I hate it, but I, I think it's been clear over a long period of time. My biggest problem with it is, is the, the two biggest problems are the pace, the pace wrecking that it does, and also the, the you know, the moment gets diluted because we're not sure whether or not we should celebrate or not because we know they're going to look at it especially in football it's going to happen um so there's always that sort of sinking feeling that what you saw may not be really what is what is uh so um did you have any replay on your on your draft list that I, just I didn't. stole from you or no no
1: no I, it was a bluff i'm not, i'm not going to take anything replay <laughs> i forced you into that number one pick <laughs> Well, I've accessed my notes. You were right. While
0: you were chatting, I got my notes on here. So I'm I'm ready for my next pick. But you go, you got to get your first pick first.
1: Okay, my first pick, and it can apply to many sports. Uh, I think probably professional sports is where this would work the best. Probably in the NBA is where I would like to see it. Is I want to see a promotion relegation system set up uh, where the, the worst teams fall out of the top tier. Uh, if they consistently perform that poorly. And I think the NBA, that would be perfect for the NBA because of the tanking issue. I mean, every year it's it's half the league isn't even competing to be good. I think the, the point of professional sports should always be to try to win as much as you can. And they've set it up where the worst teams get the top picks in the draft every year that, uh, you know... You're rewarding teams for losing, or you're you're putting them in a situation where you go, well, if you're sort of good and you're on the verge, but you're not quite there, you just have to tear it down and completely start over. And I think baseball sort of has this problem now too, where there's like you know seven or eight teams that aren't even trying to win right now. Uh, I think right. if they created this sort of relegation uh, and and promotion system where you know if you finish as the the worst team in the league you get bumped down a level to a a lower league or something like that. That would at least motivate these teams to be good. And, uh, you know, it'd be a service to your fans that you're trying to go out there, win all the games. There's all sorts of other complications. This is why this is a a mental exercise and not something that would actually come into fruition here because, you know, how do you then set up the draft? Do you have a draft? I mean, you just have to, you probably couldn't do that because you don't give it to the worst teams anymore. But, you know, the NBA especially, it just seems like, uh, you know, the top, the worst six or seven teams just do not even try every year. They're all trying to get that number one pick to get some exceptional talent. Uh, and then you see teams like, you know, the Sacramento Kings that are terrible for a decade. You know, the Timberwolves before they got Carl Anthony Towns at the number one pick. They were terrible for a decade. Uh, it just seems like it, it. it, I like how it works in the European soccer leagues. I'm not a fan of soccer but I think that's kind of a cool system and a setup with it. And I think they should bring that to American sports in some way. I know they won't, but I wish they would. And if I was in charge of things, I would make it happen.
0: Uh, That's a fantastic pick. And you know, I say that because I'm a soccer guy. Uh, That is, I love the idea. And I also love the idea of sort of these G league towns, you know, that uh, you all, you know, say I don't know where all the G league places are now, but back when Roanoke had a D league team, you know, NBA DL or whatever it was called, uh, the Roanoke Dazzle, you know, to think that all of a sudden you could be in the NBA if you win promotion, you know, and you replace the Sixers or whatever because they had a rough year. Now, it, you're right. There are a whole lot of logistical problems. Like, where are you going to play NBA games at the Roanoke Civic Center? I mean, that's kind of, uh, you probably have to beef up your the size of your or your G League arenas and, and teams uh, to, to make something like that happen. But yeah, you look at the English Premier League and how they have those teams have to fight so hard just to stay above that cut line because uh, it, it means so much to get dropped out of there and it means so much to get promoted. I mean, the teams I think they call it the 150 million dollar game. You know, the, the teams that play the the last playoff game to get that last English Premier League spot and all those all the money that follows that. Uh, I love the promotion and relegation system. It's a little harder in a league that has playoffs, you know, because the English football doesn't have yeah. uh, playoffs, but um it's still it's still a great idea and i'd love to see some form of it implemented well think
1: of the other right. problems you could avoid with like you know owners threatening to move to other cities it's like if you have a city and you want to start a team you can just start a team <laughs> and if you're good enough and you can right. play your way up like that's okay you can't hold these uh you know towns hostage we're going to build this you know you better build the stadium or go somewhere else It's like well somewhere else we can just build a stadium and start their own team and try to be competitive against you i think that i think that's a cool idea And uh, I I just wish, I mean, everything's too entrenched right now, but I just wish it would happen here in the United States.
0: Well, and it would solve some of the problems that you're looking at with basketball and the one and dons and the drafts, because the G League would be a more attractive place. You know I mean? I think they'd pay more and they'd have more uh, viewers watching their games and, and everything. So it wouldn't just be a place for scouts to come and have nachos and watch the action. It'd be an actual interesting league, I think. All right. I will make my second pick. I'm not an NBA fan, really, but uh, I, I my pick is also my second pick is also an NBA related. I would slash the NBA playoff field to five per conference uh, with a wild card, with two wild cards like they do in baseball. Um, so actually, you know the, the two wild cards would play in. I think I think baseball did it right, man. You, you're a you know you're from Minnesota. Do you even know what division in the Western Conference the Minnesota Timberwolves are?
1: I forget what they call them now. They're they're in there with like San Antonio and Utah, I think, in Oklahoma City. It's like I think mid- it's called like the the the
0: frontiers. I mean, I don't even know, but like nobody knows the divisions in in those conferences because they mean nothing. They right. mean absolutely nothing. And I love what baseball has done in terms of making those games more, uh, those those divisional games so meaningful, and making a division title so meaningful because it means you don't have to play that one game wild card game. And I would make it a one game wild card game for the NBA too. I would just, you play one game and it'd be like, sort of like NCAA March Madness for, for a day. And then you rock right into, a, a you know, four teams in each, on each side, you rock, rock, go right to the conference semifinals. You get rid of all that riff riffraff that we know is going to lose. There's never upsets. You know, what was the last eight, one upset Denver over, uh, whoever they beat, San Antonio years ago. I mean, it, it, it doesn't happen. Um, uh, to me, the, the first round of the playoffs of the NBA are some of the least interesting uh, sporting events there are in this country. Honestly, it's just so preordained. Get rid of that. Make the make the uh, make the regular season more important. Make winning a division more important. Um, add that element of that one and done wild card. Festival for those teams that just barely cracked their way into the top five, and I think you got yourself a more interesting um, regular season and postseason. But I know it'll never happen. There's too much money to be lost uh, by doing that. Uh, but uh, that I'm a sports czar, so that's what I'm doing.
1: By the way, the Northwest Division is the one the Timberwolves are in with the Trailblazers, Oklahoma City Thunder, Utah Jazz, and Denver Nuggets. You know, old rivals, those those teams that play each other. Yeah, I like your idea about limiting the playoff field. Or at the very least, like, make that first round, like, best of three or something. So the games are, like, enormously important. And, uh, you know, yeah. if you make it best of seven, the one seed's going to win every time. Like, that's just the way it does. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll get an upset. But as it is, like, I don't really care about the NBA playoffs until the conference semifinals or conference finals. And even that's right. like, meh. You know, I, I, this year I started watching because I thought those were some intriguing matchups. But you know, the first two rounds of the playoffs are a snore. I and mean, it's like, oh, no, did you see uh, New Orleans Pelicans beat uh, Portland? It's like, great, they're going to get stomped by Golden State in the second round or Houston or whoever they played. Uh, there's just so many games that you just kind of know what the outcome is going to be.
0: Yeah, you'd have C2 versus C3 in the very first round of the NBA playoffs. That would be pretty pretty fun. Okay, who's your second pick?
1: All right, I'm going to go to the world of baseball for my second pick, and uh, it's going to be the designated hitter is for every team. Enough of this National League, the the pitcher bats nonsense. Nobody wants to see a pitcher bat. They hit like a a buck 20 all the time. It's an automatic out. I don't care about the, oh, it's the strategy, and you're going to bring, you know, guys are going to bunt, and you're going to intentionally walk to face the pitcher. This is all boring to me. And with the overabundance of pitching in in baseball right now, I don't think it'd be the worst thing to have a little bit more offense and have a designated hitter in that. And I don't care if you have to have some rule where, like, uh, you know, you can't have the same DH two games in a row or something like that and force some of these guys to play something other than designated hitter. But uh, to make it more uniform across the leagues, uh bring some more offense into the game i mean the dh has been around for what 45 years now i mean it's not an experiment anymore yeah, 70. I, I, I always hate it when these old school baseball types like i love to watch the pitcher bat it's like i've seen the pitcher bat i go up there and they flail three times and try not to get hurt and strike out and go back to the bench nobody wants to watch that uh, so i want to see the dh in both leagues
0: I'm with you. Uh, now you, we should mention that you and I both grew up as fans of American League teams.
1: That's and true. I think
0: that's the, the line of the delineation point for, for this issue. I mean, if you were a Reds fan growing up, you probably don't like the DH. You know, and I think that's just the way it is but you know, some of the arguments in favor of not having a DH are you know, Oh, what about the double switch? You'll lose that. Who cares? I mean, I'd rather have somebody who can actually hit them than, than have uh, and lose the, the precious double switches than um, have double switches. And so it's, it's Yeah, I agree. I like to see lineups with the And it extends careers of players who, uh, you know, you like to watch but uh, can't really play the field that well anymore. And I guess NL fans would say, well, you know, learn how to play the field or you don't get to hit anymore. Uh, That's just the way it is. But I like to see, like, the Harold Baines types, you know, who are still raking, you know, in their late 30s and, uh, you know, can't can't really help you on defense, but they're still valuable players. So I like your pick. All, all right, right so we're on the
1: third round here.
0: Third pick. Uh, I'm gonna go to the world of college basketball. And I am saying one timeout per half, use it or lose it.
1: I love That's that it. idea. I love that one.
0: <laughs> I'm tired of overcoaching in all sports. Uh, you see it in the college baseball uh World Series. You'll see that soon in Omaha where the catcher looks in for the sign every looks into the dugout for every single sign since so the coach has to call every pitch. Um, that's not going to be one of my picks, but that would also be something I would abolish. Like, you can't look at the dugout. <laughs> but uh, in college basketball, I'm tired of stoppages. I'm tired of these maniacal coaches, you know, trying to control everything. I'd rather see the players decide more of it on the court. I'd rather, you know, you got to get it done in practice. And these guys are on their own once they go out there and play. I'm tired of the last two minutes of games taking 400 hours. You know I'm big on pace of play. I don't want these run-stopping uh timeouts to to be uh plentiful like you know you get one if you really have to stop the bleeding one time and then you're done you don't have any more so use it wisely uh that's my tip.
1: i love it Uh, how often do you see the end of a basketball game where uh especially in college where they inbound the ball they run it across half court and call timeout Uh, The coach has to set some up. First of all, you got to get get the ball back in bounds and then they end up getting like a terrible shot, like fade away from 40 feet away. (laughs) And it's not even close. It's like the most thrilling moments, especially in like the tournament are when you just have to go and it's like, okay, I've got four seconds to get down the court can I get myself free and find an open shot? I mean, that's what you think of when you think of these buzzer beaters uh, that you saw throughout the, the tournaments, uh, you know, through all time, but especially it seems like this last year. It seems like there were, you know, five or six buzzer beaters like that. Uh, I like it just being in the, the hands of the players. And I'm like, okay, let's go over to the side. Let's draw this up. let's. Especially the, the number of timeouts they have at the end of college basketball games. I mean, the last two minutes takes 20 minutes to play. Uh, you know, these yeah. coaches have found out ways to maximize their timeouts. When somebody fouls out, they have like a full minute to replace them. It's like, what are we doing here? We're just standing around not doing anything uh, at what's supposed to be the most important part of the game. Uh, yeah, I'm all for eliminating timeouts and, and increasing the pace of play.
0: Yeah, I mean, college basketball does a pretty good job of keeping the games within like about a two-hour window. So it doesn't need a whole lot of hurrying up, but that's one thing I think they can do. All right, your third pick, sir. All
1: right, this is going to be my college football pick. Um, You got to limit the teams that can be in a conference. And I think I put the number at nine. Uh, These super conferences that they have with 14 teams and they got two divisions and you play the teams in the other division once every six years. It's just got to stop. I mean, Clemson and Florida State do not even feel like they're in the same division or same conference as Virginia Tech right now. I think you you cap it at nine teams in a conference. You play the other eight teams once. Uh, You get a home and home every two years. You play four games at home, four on the road, and and that's how you figure it out. It's a full round-robin schedule. Uh, You determine your champion that way, and then you can maybe add – you know, you can have uh, eight different conferences of nine teams, and then the winners of all those go to a quarterfinal round if you eliminate the the uh, league championship games. I just think that they need to do something because these these conferences have become so just unwieldy and cumbersome with all these teams that... Uh, you just don't play each other enough. And, uh, you know, that's the whole point of being in the same conference as you face these teams, uh, quite frequently so that you become rivals over time. And it just doesn't feel like you get that a whole lot. So a lot of my stuff has been like formation and like r- rules of, of <laughs> how leagues are formed and set up. But I, I feel like that's where a lot of the problems with some of this stuff, uh, the roots come from that.
0: I like it, and I like that your sensibilities are very English football, <laughs> English Premier League. I mean, that's what they do. They have twenty teams, they play each other twice, and that's it. And you know, there's no, there's no championship game. There's no nothing. There, just, just you. Here's the titleist, you know, and that's what uh, a round robin system in, in college football would would provide. I mean, it would provide an, a fairly honest champion. Now you're gonna get. Sometimes with having all the bad teams, you know, all the good teams, you have to face on the road or something like that. But uh, that's still preferable to the unbalanced schedule that you see now. And and you're right, the the fact that um, you know there are years you're not going to have to fight. We talked about the Clemson defensive line earlier this year or earlier in this podcast. I mean, you know, Tech doesn't have to face that this year. There are teams in the Coastal who will have to face that ferocious monster of a of a defensive line, and that gives Tech an advantage over those other teams. Um, if you had a true round-robin system, I think it'd be uh, a more fair way to go, for sure. All right, all right. you got in round four? By uh, round four, I'm not sure how much you're going to be able to add to this, but I'm going to the world of NASCAR, okay? Oh,
1: geez.
0: Uh, well, in the preseason, I went down to Charlotte for the preseason stuff, and all the drivers were talking about how the season is too long, and by, you know, July, you're just kind of beat and ready to, to be done with it. Um, NASCAR is struggling mightily right now, uh, and I think here's my solution. You treat it like a concert tour. Each venue gets one race with rotating dates. So, one year the Martinsville race could be in early April or late March, like it is now. Some years you might get it on July 4th, you know, weekend. Uh, it's, it's sort of the uh, Christmas present to see when your race is. And then you, they announce it early enough that you can make your plans. Uh, but no more venues getting multiple races. I know that hurts Martinsville because they're one of the tracks that gets. Two races, but you you could introduce some new tracks to the mix, or reintroduce some old tracks like the Rockingham's. Um, Fix that place up and race there. I mean, I know there's people that still uh, pine for that. Uh, Maybe add a dirt track to the to the mix. Add, you know, so maybe you get it up to about 28 races uh, instead of what they have now, but it's still significantly less. And every time the circuit visits your your place, uh, it's a huge deal because it's the only time they're coming. Uh, there would be some unfairness about some teams get, you know, some tracks getting in the chase and some not in the playoffs, but uh, that would be remedied over time because you'd eventually rotate into the, uh, into the playoffs. And also the all-star race would not be held in Charlotte every year. It would rotate just like it does in every other sport. You'd, you'd have it in different tracks. And uh so some years you would get two events. One would be the all-star race and the other would be your normal event. And there you have it. You have a, You know, a situation where if you want to go to Martinsville, you got one shot at it and you can pack the place. Uh, Attendance goes up. Interest goes up. Each race
1: has more uh, gravity to it because there's not as uh, many of them. And there you go. You're right. I have absolutely nothing to add to that. (laughs) You, you could you could have told me that's what the regular NASCAR season is like, and I'm like, oh yeah that sounds right <laughs> That sure so I think your ideas are well thought out and very practical, and they should institute them immediately
0: Thank you I appreciate that all right who's
1: your the fourth pick uh fourth pick I am going to you know some there's a little bit of this already, uh, not like officially, but a lot of teams do get these when they win championships. I think there should be championship belts in every sport like wrestling. (laughs) And when you're the champion, you get to proudly carry that thing around and you walk into the arena and you hold it up and the crowd knows what's at stake in a certain game. And if a team beats you, you have to give it up and give it to them and they get to walk out of the stadium with the championship belt. And I don't know if you have to do this for only playoff games or however you do that. Uh, I think it maybe works better in football when there's a, you know, a real, you know, uh, uh focus on the single game there it's not like you're trying to win a series like the nba or something like that but uh championship belts are the coolest form of like a championship stature like you know there's a lot of uh trophies out there the world series trophy is terrible uh you know it's got all those little flags sticking up out of it nobody cares about that The, the nfl trophy is pretty lame too the only good like trophy trophy that's out there is the stanley cup uh, but I think if they had like individual belts for the players or like a team belt or something like that. I mean, look at how big of a deal these traveling trophies are in college football, where it's like a, a, an axe that you're playing for or something like that. and They go crazy when they win this thing. I think that would add a little bit of something to this if, if there was some sort of championship belt that was on the line. And I don't know if some games are non-title bouts or however they do it like wrestling does. Uh, but I, I think that would be something interesting to introduce to the sporting world other than wrestling.
0: Okay. Well, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I like your idea. You should be. I feel like you should Uh, be a wrestling wrestling fan. It's one of those things I've just never gotten. I've just never understood why uh, very intelligent people, a lot of people I know who are very intelligent, like yourself, are into wrestling, and I've never gotten it. I've never understood it.
1: Wrestling is to you as NASCAR is to me, it sounds like. There you go. That's probably a good uh, analogy there.
0: All right. Uh, My fifth pick. Uh, then I guess you're kind of hearing out there, if you're a listener, that I'm a general practitioner, basically. I cover a lot of different <laughs> things. So I go all over the sports world with my picks. My fifth pick and final pick is high schools. The Only the region champions make the state tournament. That's it. Oh,
1: you I go love straight that one.
0: to the state semifinals. You go straight to the sem- state semifinals. Uh, regions, they conduct their playoffs however they want to do it. Okay, That's what they do now. But uh, only one of these teams is coming out of here. Okay, if you want to create a double elimination tournament or something to make it uh, fair in the regionals uh, in a a sport like baseball where it's you know it's kind of random, uh, I'm okay with that. But it needs to be there's only one team coming out of here because what you what the current situation is and you know this from covering it the, the region semifinals are the big deal and the region finals are anticlimactic and unimportant. I mean, people say well we want to win the regional title and we want to get a state playoff game at home. But you really want to get the state quarterfinal. That's what you want to do. And then you do that by winning your regional semifinal. So it's one of the rare places where winning a title is not as important as winning a semifinal. It makes no sense. It's a mulligan that uh, that, that doesn't need to be there. Um, you know, you see it in baseball. Look, baseball – uh you start your semifinals and then you kinda of cobble together whatever you got left in the in the finals because you're gonna save your ace for the Tuesday game that you're gonna play next week in the state quarterfinals. Um you know that doesn't make any sense to me. You know that, that that's not uh I wrote a column two weeks ago about William Byrd's big upset of of Liberty Christian Academy, which is essentially the, the Ivan Drago of, of, of Virginia baseball, ranked in the top thirty in the in the country by a perfect game. Um you could make the argument that uh, William Bird didn't really deserve to have a chance to beat those guys. You know, they were ten and twelve. I think going into that game, uh, Liberty Christian was undefeated uh, and, and and deserved it. Um, so, as great of a story as it was for our local team, William Bird, it was still uh, one of those situations where
1: uh, it wasn't maybe
0: the fairest scenario to to crown a champion. So, one team gets out. You go straight to the state semifinals. The regions uh, have a lot. The regional finals have a lot more gravity.
1: Yeah, I like that. I, I hate the postseason format in Virginia, where it seems like you can lose like three times in the postseason and still be like state champs. It's like why, why, why yeah. do you continue to lose in these situations and advance the next round? I, I realize they do it because certain areas have really strong teams, and you're trying to get it. So if you're like the two best teams are from the same region. Uh, they can have a chance to decide it on the field at the end. I, I kind of feel like, hey, they decided it in the region when they played each other, uh, had some stakes to that. I feel like a lot of our, our things here are like, let's have some stakes to these games and less meaningless <laughs> games in this whole thing. So there's kind of a common thread there. Uh, for my fifth pick, uh, I don't know if people take this the wrong way or not, but I would like them to start playing America the Beautiful instead of the Star-Spangled Banner at the beginning of sporting events. Okay. And I'm saying this as somebody who has heard our national anthem. I don't know five thousand times at sporting events. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how many games I've covered in my life, but my goodness, I've heard that song a billion times. Uh, I've heard every version of it. I've heard the Bleeding Gums Murphy version of it, the B side of the album version. The the Kitty Choir coming out there. It's been done to death let's find a different song and, and quite honestly America you're, you're still going to get sort of that uh America homage at the beginning of a or honorage at, at the beginning of a uh event like that uh America the Beautiful is just a better song I think it's about how great America is in terms of you know the sea deciding sea and all this stuff and it's not about war and blowing stuff up which is basically what the national anthem is uh And Maybe that might uh, put a pin in a little bit of this uh, anthem controversy that's going on because people seem to take the national anthem and and equate it so directly to the troops uh, to the point where it's really being uh, politicized to a, a great extent uh i'm just tired of hearing the national anthem all the time and i'm tired of it being sort of this forced moment of nationalism that everybody has to just stand still and stand up and respect the flag and if you don't do it there's a big problem with everything let's take a little bit more casual to start these sporting events and uh play a different song and i think america the beautiful would fit very well
0: i like it i mean when i was a kid one of my favorite places to visit maryland was fort mchenry in baltimore which is Uh, obviously the birthplace of the national anthem. Francis Scott Key wrote it in a ship, out, you know, when they were outside of the fort and the fireworks or the bombs exploding over it and all that. Uh, So I have an affinity for the song, but you're right. America the Beautiful is a beautiful song. Uh, it, it's very reminiscent of O Canada, which is uh, I think everyone loves O Canada, right? It's a oh, that's like the greatest moment o... of
1: NHL playoff games yeah. when they do, they play it in Canada and they just the singer stops and the whole stadium just sings the whole song. It's it's very uh, melodic. Uh, yeah, I I think also if you made this switch, like think of all the popular music artists. They're like, all right, now it's my time to shine on a different song. I feel, I feel like we've sort of done the national anthem to death. I don't know how many different yeah. versions of it are out there. I mean, you have the Marvin Gaye version, you have the Jimi Hendrix version, you've got all sorts of stuff that have sort of pushed the limits of what the national anthem is. Uh, maybe bring in a different song and give the artist something new to work with. And and the notes are easier to hit.
0: I mean, you know, you won't have the disasters that you do. Uh, yeah, the on, high note of the at national the end. anthem. Yeah, it's just, I, it's I, a I much it, easier song to hit.
1: I think if you time it too, it might be shorter. And that's one of my pet peeves is people that think they're out there on American Idol to give like the four minute version of the anthem. And you can tell, you can tell after they sing the very first part when they do the Jose, the the, the very first line, like sometimes they just stretch it out. I, I just I audibly sigh when I'm in the press box. I'm like, oh man, we are here for four minutes just listening to this concert on the field. Uh, I like the people that go in there. They're, they're no BS about it. They're going to sing it. It's going to be a minute 40 and they're going to be done with it. And they're going to get off the field. That's the best star spangled banner in my opinion.
0: Well, I think there's another thread worth that's developing through these is we want it over faster.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's Whatever right.
0: we're talking about, we want it done quicker and also life ain't fair y'all life ain't fair. Do you else your list?
1: What else? Uh, these are some other ones I had on my list. I want commercial breaks oh. during the game especially in baseball. Like, there's no reason they can't just run, like, a commercial at the bottom corner or something like that. They don't need all these breaks as long. Uh, I want the end of TV blackouts everywhere. I think it is just stupid in this day and age of, you know, TVs, everybody has them, that there's still, like, restrictions on where you can watch things, especially with the MLB package where it's like, listen, I pay for this, I just want to watch this team on this night, and I don't want to have to deal with your stupid blackout. Like, you know, we get blacked out of uh, Orioles games out here, and it's like, what, you want me to go to the game? It's like six hours away, I'm not going to go to that. Uh, and uh, lastly, I want them to bring back Round Ball Rock in the NBA, and to play the This Week in Baseball theme more often at baseball games. <laughs> Those are two just classic <laughs> songs from my youth, and I want to hear them, I want to hear it in my life more, and they don't play them nearly uh. enough. This is Mel
0: album. Yeah, I, I used to watch that show. That was a good show. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have any more. Uh, getting five was good enough. I don't, I don't. feel like I'm the best czar in the world. But maybe you could uh, if you listen to this draft out there, you guys can tell us which one of us you think won this draft or which one of us lost it. Uh, let's get out of here on a prediction. Since we talked so much about defense early in the in the podcast, I want to know where defense defensively Tech is going to rank uh, nationally. In total defense, uh, where do you think?
1: Uh, you go first on this one. I'm going to look up where uh, like kind of I what the stats I were on this thing. You.
0: I was trying to get you to go first so that I could do the, uh, the Price Is Right deal on oh, I'm you. I'm going to go with zero no, one dollar. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just whoever finished closest. It's not uh, without going over, so you got to be the closest. I will say
1: fifty-eight.
0: Cause I already went on record saying worst in the decade.
1: I'm going to say 58. I'm going to go with $1 on this one. No, I'll I'll say (laughs) low forties. I'll put them at 42 somewhere in there Uh, to give an idea. Last year, Virginia ranked 40th, uh, having given up 365.1 yards per game. Uh, You know, yards aren't always the best indicator of what it, uh, you know, how well a defense plays. I think points, uh, are much better, but you know, sometimes you give up a ton of yards and not a ton of points. uh yeah, I think it'll be a little bit of a drop this year. I, I don't think it'll maybe be as bad as it has been in the past, but you know, again, a lot of this might be contingent on how well the offense plays this year, and, and who knows really how the offense is going to do. Well, I was going
0: to say, you know, when you had Frank's off- offense, you know, grinding out the clock when he knew that the defense was sagging on the ropes. Uh, that helps your, that helps your numbers and the total defense for sure. And I don't think Fuente's going to have that luxury of, uh, running the ball a bunch. I mean, he, he, I know he likes to be balanced, but, uh, he does like to pitch it around a lot as a, mo- as modern offenses do. So, uh, I think if you're vulnerable defensively, it'll show up in statistics, unlike maybe in the past where, uh, you could, you could mask it a bit with, uh, with some, a lot of running and a lot of, you know, punts and stuff that, uh, that shorten the game sort of.
1: Punt's not a bad play. That was always a uh, friend's thing. Uh, <laughs> Live to punt. All right.
0: Well, I, I'm, I'm glad we did this, even though we had to do it in the backup system. Uh, and I've learned something about being able to check my phone now, which is in, you know, a very interesting fact. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast that we did today. And we'll get together again as soon as we have something to talk about. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will catch you next time.